Welcome to My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. Are you on track for a secure retirement? If things go badly in the markets, will my nest egg still last? How do changing tax rules impact consumer savings and spending strategies? How do I know my financial advisor is competent and ethical? How do I organize my financial life? We'll answer important personal finance questions like these and so much more. And we'll do it in a way that makes a dry, arcane topic engaging and entertaining. And now, here are your hosts, JR and Jessica. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Two Cents with financial planner J.R. Robinson. I'm co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. J.R., what's in store for our listeners today? Well, I, I think today we have a fun show. Um, it's uh, just totally different. Every, well, I guess every show we're doing is different, but today we're going to be talking about the, the real-life nuts and bolts of financial planning. And I feel like when people hear the words financial planning or they see them in print, um, it's a bit of an amorphous concept. I mean, everybody feels like they know what it means. It's a simple enough term, but at the end of the day, it conjures up many different perceptions or images of what financial planning is to different people. So today I'm going to provide my two cents about what financial planning is to me and how I present it. And in doing so, we're going to really dig deeper into the various non-investment related elements of financial planning. And I really want to make those concepts real and tangible to our listeners so they can see really just how important they are. That sounds great, especially at a time like now, JR. So are we going to be primarily talking about the benefits of working with a financial planner? No, uh, not necessarily. Um, as, as you know, I try to make it clear on, on every show that we do, this show, My Two Cents, is for all consumers. And as you know, I, I, I don't use our time to promote my practice, uh, not at all. Uh, nor am I on any mission to persuade everyone that they should use a financial planner. Um, that said, uh, today's a little bit tricky because I'm, I'm going to be rel- relaying my real life experiences uh, to our listeners today. So they're, they're going to obviously be seeing th- things through my lens as a financial planner. But at the end of the day, um, I hope and believe that the real life examples that I'm going to be sharing will, will raise awareness of lots of different issues that may be relevant um, to, to all consumer situations, whether they work with a financial planner or not. So, yeah. Terrific. Well, the title of today's show is Financial Planning Done Right. I love that. That's something we can <laughs> all use. <laughs> JR, can you please tell us what we have in store for today and also enlighten us, please, as to what is financial planning done wrong? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure sort of it's financial planning done wrong, but I, I will say that financial planning as a field of expertise and, and as um, just a methodology has evolved over time. And you know, when we when we say financial planning done wrong, I would say that the way, certainly the, I'll just speak for myself, the way I do financial planning today is very, very different from the way I practiced it 25 years ago. Um so I, I'll just sort of explain how that works. So when I first started out uh, in the mid-1990s, really when I was at Smith Barney in Honolulu, is where I started really doing financial planning. This is kind of how it worked. So you'd meet with a client or a prospective client and you'd give them um, yeah, a multi-page quest, detailed questionnaire. It had a zillion questions on it. 
And I'd spend an hour or two in that meeting with the client, peppering them with the questions in that questionnaire, writing down all the answers, compiling it. Then after the meeting, they'd go home and I'd go into the computer and using the, the firm's proprietary software platform, which at, the, at that day was actually pretty state of the art. But I enter in all that data from that questionnaire. And then um, the computer would spit out like this 50 page report of so-called personalized analysis. And it made you know, lots of recommendations and um, it would print it out in a book and put the client's name on it. It was all you know fancy. And that's personalized meant your name was embossed in gold on it. Um, but at the end of the day, there were a lot of problems with it. One, it was almost entirely investment centric. I mean, you're it was being presented by a brokerage firm. So the object was to get people to invest more, right? Um, and there was, you know, most of it was, it was one, it was really jargon rich. When you gave it to the client and they opened it, you could see most clients wanted no part of it. I mean, it was, it was just dense reading. Um, when they say personalized, it meant, you know, the client's name was inserted lots of different places, but the text was still pretty much boilerplate generic text. And um, you, you got the idea that the client was never going to read it again after they left. Um, so its purpose was really to give people an idea of where they stood in relation to what their investment goals were and to give them advice on how to achieve those investment goals um, more efficiently. So it was a good starting point for that period of time. Um, you know, it gave people a good snapshot, static point in time evaluation. And But looking back, I, I honestly think that its greatest value was really, and, and I think it's still this way for a lot of people, is really more of a marketing tool. I mean, I'm not sure even at that time that I needed a 50 page book to tell me to recommend a basket of mutual funds to tell the people to set up 529 plans for their kids or to tell them to sock more money into their IRAs or 401k plans and to get their estate planning documents drafted, which is essentially what that book did. So um, I was probably going to recommend all that stuff anyway um, without generating the book. But, you know, I guess the book made me look more credible or at the very least, it made me look like I earned my keep, you know, <laughs> But um, so that's yeah. that was that, that's where financial planning was then. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure at that point in time, but when consumers get a gold gold book with all that in there, that you know they probably do feel that you're working really hard and went through all that work to put this book together. So, Jr., how is financial planning done differently today? Um, to put it succinctly, this this is how I view it. I think. This is how I hope the industry is evolving. Um, today, financial planning is a platform, not a document. And before I get too deep into that, I, I should also say, I'm not necessarily sure that it's being done differently everywhere today. I really, I, my impression is that most of the traditional large brokerage firms are still doing things the way I did 25 years ago. Um, and I think even many of the independent financial planners are still using that basic approach. Uh, of creating a document and using that as the, the primary tool to gather investments. Sometimes I, there are a couple of firms, I won't mention their names, but they use, use it as a tool to promote their own investment products or their own insurance products. And I don't really think that that actually, in modern day financial planning, I don't really think that that actually has a place. Um, so my, in my sense, I guess to summarize that, my sense is that the majority of people who are representing themselves as financial planners today still really only pay lip service to comprehensive financial planning. And that is financial planning that extends beyond just goal-based investment planning. Um, and so, you know, at the same time, I, I believe that there are definitely a growing number of financial planners who both 
embrace holistic financial planning and eschew this notion that a financial plan is a document. And instead of a document, a financial plan by our standards is these days, it's a cloud-based platform that enables clients. And this is, this is how I explain it to, to people that I work for. It allows you to centralize, organize, monitor, and maintain literally every aspect of your financial life. And that's going to be the, the, a big part of our discussion today is really getting in the weeds about what these other non-investment related um, aspects are and just how important they are. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was just gonna <laughs> I was just gonna ask you about the difference between a platform and a document. So I'm really glad that you did that. And so maybe we can give examples of more platforms to our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um yeah, and, and just uh just to advance the ball on that further. So how things are different today, how things are evolving today yeah. is that we're seeing, you know, much more focus on client engagement in the process. Um, it's much less investment centric and it's much more collaborative in terms of working in, in terms of the financial planner and the advisor bringing in their CPA and their estate planning attorney and working together on things. So um, in client engagement, you know, before it was just, there was one questionnaire and then you'd give the client a book. Now the clients engage every step of the way with a, as you'll see with the platform, they're engaged all the way through. Um, and investment management will always be an important element of it, but it's really these, I mean, like I say, I spend less than half my time on the investment side. It's not rocket science. It's really not, doesn't need to be made as complicated. I think sometimes as the software makes it out to be. So, um, that's, uh, that's where go, going on that. Um, yeah, that's, 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 I think the future of financial planning is going in that direction. Sure. And can you give us some examples of that, the platforms that you're talking about? Sure. Um, so there's, I'll, I'll break it down into two sides. There's software for consumers. Um, yes. So if you're doing it yourself and then there's, and there's the software that we can, um, that we use as financial planners. And um, so, and I, I'll tell you the ones we talked about on your show, Inspire You and Me, when you first interviewed me, you asked me to, yes. to say some of the, the applications that are popular for consumers. So, you know, the, the, the leading players in that space, um, I would say Mint, uh, mint.com. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Mint, Mint is owned by um, Intuit, which uh, produces TurboTax and Quicken. Mint is um, their financial planning platform for consumers, a DIY platform. It's um, very useful as an account aggregation tool. You can link all of your accounts, all of your bank accounts, your credit cards, your brokerage accounts, your mortgages, see everything in one place. And um, it, it will help um, also organize your expenses. There's a great budgeting feature to it. I think they also provide credit scores and things like that. So very useful way to centralize accounts. Um, How much does it cost, JR? Free, Mint. baby, free. Yeah. It's uh, The only wow. problem with Mint is that it's advertising driven though. So if you sign up for Mint, you're going to get solicited. <laughs> you, you'll see, you'll get pop-up ads for all sorts of things that, um, uh, and all sorts of advice that may or may not be wise, but it's that's that there. It's an advertising-based model, so it's 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 free, but you just got to put up with that. Um, then there is um, another one that's um, also very popular, increasingly popular these days, is Personal Capital, and it's a very clean user interface. It's the same sort of thing. It it offers um, consumers a way to easily link their accounts to different financial institutions to see them all in one place. They have really nice reporting capabilities. You can see a balance sheet and net worth statement really easily with a click of a button once you've got all your accounts connected. Um, they also have good budgeting software too. They focus a little bit more on the investment side. They'll drill in and show you what your expenses, internal expenses are of the different investment products you may have. Um, so both of those are very popular with consumers. There are um, a bunch of other software uh, uh, 
new entrants into that space. I think Goldman Sachs through um, Marcus by Goldman Sachs, its consumer division is making a big push into that space too. Um, Quicken has an application called Simplify that's a really neat budgeting app app in that space too. But uh, I would say Mint and Personal Capital are the two dominant players in that space um, and are, are good for what they do for that, that core consolidation feature and budgeting. So JR, are, are you saying that the days of writing in your checkbook are gone? <laughs> well, I mean, if you're really, if you're really like that, I mean, there's something I, I, I haven't balanced a checkbook in well, at least a quarter century, but really? the software will do it for you. Yeah. I, mean, wow, I guess it's yeah, a good idea to yeah. check and make sure everything's working right. But the, the software could do that for you these days. Every bank can do that for you, their own um, online platform too. But um, yeah, so, but the, you know, the benefit of those applications is it's, again, you get a centralized vi- view of everything. It's hard to yeah. know how to proceed if you can't see the big picture. And those apps do a pretty good job of doing that. Um, now, on the other side, we, we have the fi- financial planning software that we use in our space too, right? And, um, and on our space, uh, I, I would say we, it's surprising. We don't have as many great options as you might think. I mean, the so- in many respects, the software that we use is a little bit better than what the consumers can get, but it's still limited. I'll explain that in a second. But in the financial planning in space for financial planners, there are myriad players, but there's three really big ones. The biggest software maker is MoneyGuide Pro, and they have about 36% of the, of the comprehensive financial planning software market. Um, eMoney is second. eMoney is owned by Fidelity, um, and it's got about 29% of the market. And there's... Um, an up-and-coming player called Right Capital. It has about 10% of the market. So those are the three dominant players in the space that I would call comprehensive financial planning software. Um, and they'll do all of the things that Mint and Personal Capital do. They've got much more sophisticated simulation engines under the hood, which means the analysis can be a little bit deeper, a little bit more detailed. It'll do some detailed social security integration and tax integration and things like that. Um, I, w- uh, I will say that that's, you know, when I say the options in our space are limited. I think that a lot of the planning software in the advisory space is still dated. It's still based upon that sort of 1990s Smith Barney model that I was using and that it's still heavily investment centric. So the, you know, I mean, you can, you can put in a lot of detailed analysis, just like I used to do back at Smith Barney, really detailed um, financial information and it'll spit out a report. But I think consumers should be aware whether it's, software that you're using on your own or, or whether you're using it, you know, from a financial planner presented it, presenting it to you through one of these apps. There are so many assumptions that are built into those analyses and the rules change all the time. The tax rule, we talked about this in other shows, the tax rules are changing all the time that, you know, the emphasis in a lot of the so-called comprehensive financial planning software is on making these future value projections and make, making these, um, you know, estimates of how people are on track. I don't think that they're that great. I, don't th- I think there's you know, a tendency to over-rely on those because, like I said, it, it, if you make one little mistake on it, or just not even a mistake, if you assume that the mean return for an asset class is going to be 5% per year, it turns out to be 4% per year, when you're illustrating a 30-year time horizon, it's a huge difference in the results. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, in terms of financial planning software, I'm not sure that the biggest value of financial planning software is that a- analytical side. Um, in my view, Money Guide Pro and Right Capital, along with most of the other apps in that space, really whiff on evolving today to meet today's consumers' na- needs. Specifically, they really don't provide much of a platform for addressing holistic financial planning, and they really um, 
don't do much in terms of engaging the client in the process. They're still back end software. Um, the, the client really just gets the report and that's it. So um, I'll explain after the break, I'll explain why the one platform that I use, that, which I think is still really, I'll explain why I use it, but eMoney is the planning platform that I use. And I'll explain why it really is, the why I use it as the platform for comprehensive, really, truly holistic plan, what it offers that other platforms don't. So um, why don't we uh, maybe go to a break and I'll introduce that after. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in every week for My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. J.R. is the founder of Financial Planning Hawaii and a co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. You'll gain professional insight into some of the hottest topics in financial planning today. And along the way, you'll hear some of the great stories that make learning about personal finance entertaining. Listen for My Two Cents every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Nest Egg Guru makes affordable software for financial advisor websites to help advisors better educate and engage with their clients. Consumers today no longer wish to receive book-length so-called financial plans that they'll never read after leaving their advisor's office. Instead, they want to be educated and to participate in the planning process. The three Nest Egg Guru planning apps help address your greatest financial fear. If things go badly in the markets, will I still be okay? Tell your financial advisor to step up his or her game at nesteguru.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to My Two Cents. We'd love to hear from you on the program today. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is info at fphawaii.com. Now, back to My Two Cents. Here again are your hosts, J.R. Robinson and Jessica Lonnie Rich. You're listening to My Two Cents. I'm Jessica Lonnie Rich with financial planner J.R. Robinson, and our topic today is financial planning done right. J.R., you were talking about platforms that you use for your clients before we went to the break. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah, so before the break, I was going to explain the, the software platform, the online cloud-based platform that I use for my clients at Financial Planning Hawaii. And um this is, and it gets to exactly what the topic is, which is financial planning done right. The reason I use eMoney, and I'm not a spokesman for eMoney. I've got <laughs> consumers can't go out and buy eMoney. I'm just explaining I, how I use this platform because it's how I do financial planning. And it has two elements that I really don't understand why other software applications haven't incorporated, but two other features that it has that other software really doesn't. And so one is, and it's the reason I use it, is that it's it's the only application that's really, really client facing. Um, and I can't make enough big enough deal out of it, really. Um, the other two applications I mentioned, like Money Guide Pro and Right Capital, they're all back end facing. You fill out a questionnaire, you put a bunch of data, and it presents a report that you then give to the client. 
e-money, the client participates in the process from start to finish. The, the client goes in, um, links all of their accounts, they upload the planning documents, they're engaged in the process the whole time, and they can access it through the client, through my website all the time. The platform belongs to them. It's, 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 they're involved in it on an ongoing basis. That's what a platform is. So it has to be client-facing. Clients want to be engaged in the process, and it keeps them engaged in it over time. So, um, and the other thing that it does really well, and again, I just don't understand why other applications haven't done it. It has a really simple feature that allows me, the financial planner, to go out and address all of the really, really, really important non-investment elements of their financial plan. And that simple feature is it provides a document vault, a document storage vault. So when I'm in terms of the information gathering process, I have clients either provide me with paper copies of the documents that I want to upload. That might be estate planning uh, documents beneficiary forms. You know, we'll, I'll go into all that in a second employee benefits handbook. We'll go into all of that in, in more detail. But by having the client provide all the documents and upload them to that, um, that's how we're really able to dig into the other things that really, really add value to the, to the planner-client relationship and really can save, save the client in a lot of different ways, not just made from money side. But um, So that's what eMoney offers that other applications don't. That is, when I say a platform, that's the platform that I provide to all clients that helps them centralize and organize everything and helps me see everything and, and, and be able to advise them too. So no, that sounds it. great. That sounds great, JR. And I would also think that the consumer or your clients have a, has a sense of security because they can monitor how their investments are doing just, just by having that availability. Um, actually, I would say it's, it's not even so much about monitoring the investments. They get statements. They, they have their accounts held at whatever institutions yes. they may have them at. But it, it really is, you know, client, it takes, the problem with a platform is like this, is that it takes a long time to get all the documents together. It's not like something you just, you don't just say, okay, bring it out. It takes, some, sometimes it takes months to get everything in there or even longer to get everything organized in, in, in there. But it is it is the place where you know, once it's done, the clients usually do breathe a big sigh of relief because, wow, I've never been able to see everything. Now that you see it all in one place, like now that you have this 10,000 foot view, everything's clearer. And wow, it's really easy. Instead of having all these paper files, if I update a document, I just delete the old one and upload the new one. And, and it's, 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 you know, I, I really don't understand why other people, other, other software applications haven't done the same thing and just incorporated a simple document vault to do that. But that's why I use eMoney. Um, that yeah. sounds great. And it also sounds like it's time well spent, even though it takes months or weeks or whatever. Once it's all in one place, it's there already. Jared, can you please dig a little deeper into how eMoney helps you address the non-investment elements of your clients' financial plans? Um, sure. So, um I'll back up a little bit just to sort of explain the financial planning process. And this, I think, is a, the yes. basic process that all financial planners follow. Um, sure. One is uh, it basically it's establish a relationship, define what the client objectives are. That's step one. Step two is you gather all the client's background information. Step three is you analyze and prepare the recommendations for the client. Step four is you develop and present your planning recommendations. And step five is to implement them. Step six is to monitor them. In the old days, when I was doing that plan at Smith Barney, there wasn't those elements weren't really there. I mean, you, you monitor meant you call the client. Now, when you have a platform in place, you're monitoring it all the time. You're updating it all the time. Um, and so, in terms of gathering the information, it gives you a place to not just gather the information, but to store the information. So, um, it's much. You know, that's that's how the platform works in it. Um, and when I 
say in, in terms of um, how it helps address the non-investment elements of our clients' financial plans, which I guess was your question, um, this is what I mean by that. So um, I often explain, I think I've explained, maybe I think we talked about this on your show too, the biggest financial planning mistakes that people make and the mistakes that we see all the time have absolutely nothing to do with picking the wrong stock bond or mutual fund, um, you know, usually aren't asset allocation mistakes. Those are all simple things. The biggest mistakes we catch really are these non-investment sides, um, mistakes on the non-investment side. And that's what we're really going to dig deep in today. And the non-investment topics include the following, um, estate planning, tax planning, risk management insurance, um, qualified retirement plans, employee benefits, asset registration and beneficiary designations, um, social security benefits planning and coordination, Medicare planning. And there's a bunch bunch of other topics as well. Some are more specialized than others. But those basic things are what I, when I say the non-investment elements, those are, what, those are the topics that I'm talking about. Those are amazing topics. And actually, when you think about it, each one of them could actually be a topic for a show because they're so fascinating, the tax planning and and Social Security benefits and Medicare planning. You can go on and on. And I'm sure that you could give us so much. Uh, but if, for the interest of today, JR, I know that this is the part where you help our audience to see the tangible value of these elements that you're talking about. Can you, can you walk us through these one by one using real life examples to illustrate the importance of each one of them? Absolutely. And this is, this is actually the part of the show that I'm excited about. This is actually the fun part. Um, so rather than bore our listeners by trying to explain all the Byzantine rules that apply to each one of those various elements, my goal really is to raise awareness of the practical importance of these. And, um, and the best way to do that is by example. So um, definitely. And you know, the, the overarching theme through all of this is that having this organizational platform is absolutely essential to making financial planning practical, practically implementable. Um, so I'll start by giving a bunch of examples that highlight the importance of the planner's role in estate planning. Um, and the first plan, it's, this is just a sort of a funny example, but um, I, the, um, I had a, a prospective client come in and I was explaining my approach to financial planning. And it was really trying to emphasize the point that it's much more than investment planning. And he, and he said, time out, time out. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm just, I just, I'm interested in investment planning. My attorney does all of that for me. I'm like, what do you mean your, your attorney does all this? No, he says, all the all just investments. He handles all the financial planning stuff. I said, "Really? Well, who's your attorney?" So he gave me the attorney. Did a quick Google search because I have a TV in my monitor. The attorney had died three years earlier. So the chances of his attorney calling to raise awareness of anything was pretty slim. And it was obviously an embarrassing moment for the guy. But the reason I share that example and why it's actually relevant is that. By going through that information gathering process, by getting everything into it, it's the financial planner who is at the heart of everything. It's the financial planner who gets to see everything. The attorney's role isn't to be proactive. They're never going to go into the detail and learn those things the same way way a financial planner is. It's my job to do. Now, my job isn't to tell the client, you know, what specific estate planning things they need to do. I mean, generally, we can raise awareness of issues. The estate you know, planning attorney is going to draft the documents, is going to be dictating to the client and to me, you know, how to implement those things. The client, the attorney is never going to call you. Um, you know, and, and most of the time, if some, like in this case too, if something had happened to the client, do you think the heirs would ever have known who the attorney was that drafted the documents? They wouldn't even know to call. So 
Um, I had another similar example. I had a client whose estate planning attorney had drafted the documents and um, he had insisted on not giving signed copies to the clients of the durable powers of attorneys and their trust accounts, gave them unsigned copies, which you know, are not actually official copies if they're not signed um, at the time that the documents were drafted and insisted on storing them in a vault himself. Same thing. The attorney died when we went to, we went to request and, and the firm had lost the documents. They spent all that oh, money, no. never implemented them. Yeah, crazy. Um, so, um, and also in terms of making a, the, 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 the role of an estate plan, of the role of the financial advisor in estate planning tangible. Another example, clients came in, brought in their estate planning documents that they'd had in a safe deposit box. They had, once they had gotten the documents from the attorney, they went straight to the bank and put them there. Never implemented them, did nothing. So if you never implement them and they're in a safe deposit box that no one knows you had, you didn't really actually do any estate planning. <laughs> So yeah, true. Oh my gosh, that's a horror story. That is terrible. <laughs> I mean, the funny things like this happen all the time. Yeah, but, yeah. So, um, so that sort of you know the financial planner's role, to be clear, isn't isn't to give specific estate planning guidance, not to give specific tax planning guidance, but it's to raise awareness of these things and then to consult with the attorney about how to solve them. So, I'll give you some examples of how we really do get involved on a day to day basis in in raising awareness on estate planning issues. So. I'll see it all the time. Clients will come in and, well, one of the times, most often they won't have any estate planning documents. So we'll say, okay, you know, you've got young kids. You should have guardianship provisions for your kids. You know, so what happens if something happens to both of you? I mean, um, or you're incapacitated. Do you have a durable power of attorney? Do you have an advanced healthcare directive? Um, and many times they don't. But even when they do, you need to think beyond that. Like um, I have a son who just turned 18. Um, he's now an adult. If you were in an accident, the, doc the doctors at the hospital couldn't provide information to me about his medical condition because he's legally an adult. And absent having an advanced healthcare directive, I have to get a court appointment in order to get that information about my son, which I would want. Um, so we encourage people, if you've got you know, kids who are legally adults but are still your dependents, they should have you know, advanced healthcare directives in place so that you actually have the ability to make decisions for them if they're incapacitated. Um, same thing going upstream, looking at parents Parents and grandparents, uh, you know, a lot of our clients are uh, my age in their 50s, and they might have uh, parents that they provide care for. Do you have durable power of attorney and advanced health care directives for them as well as for your adult children? You know, making sure those little gaps are, 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 are filled. Um, sometimes when we're reviewing a client's estate planning documents, we'll see a durable power of attorney that has reciprocal husband and wife named for each other, but no alternates. So in the event of a simultaneous accident, who's going to make the decisions for you? You know, so little things like that, they're important. We're not doing the estate planning for them, but we're looking about raising awareness of these important issues they, sh they should address. Biggest mistake we play see in estate planning, and I see it all the time, was basically those people who had this, the, the documents in their safe deposit box. You take the time and money to draft estate planning documents, and then you never implement them. You know, you, you need to, to when, you're, when I talk about implementing it, if you've got accounts, that, if you've got living trusts that are drafted and you haven't put any accounts or any assets in the trust, the trust isn't doing anything, right? So our job is to make the attorney's job easier in some cases and getting instructions on how to implement it and then make sure that they're implemented. You know, over time, we'll see people buy a piece of property or they set up a new account and then they never, you know, they, they lose track of what they were supposed to do when they, when they first got the implementation plan for their documents. So we make sure that, you know, that estate planning documents are implemented properly over time as assets change, as accounts change. So that's all part of the financial planner's role in estate planning. And really, 
you can see how we coordinate with the estate planning attorneys to make it all work. But that's um, those are uh, so those are some good examples. That's how that's how we uh, that makes estate planning tangible in terms of the value we provide as financial planners. And your story about you know either consumers putting or the clients putting their estate planning in a safe deposit box. So many people do that, and I think that the information you're providing now to our listeners, Jr., is just so valuable because this, we see it time and time again where people do that. Now I know we talk quite a bit about the importance of tax planning and how paying attention to various rule changes can be the low-hanging fruit in optimizing one's financial plan. But Jr., can you speak to that? again for the benefit of our new listeners? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, now, as I, as I sort of quipped in episode six, basically every time the tax law changes, it gives me job security, right? Um, and over the last four years, we've had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we had the Secure Act and the CARES Act, and they, they, all of these major rule changes have created opportunities for financial planners like me to um, add real value to our clients. And now, as I said, with the estate planning example, a common question that I get is, you know, isn't that the CPA's job? And my job is, or excuse me, my response is that, you know, both the attorney and the CPA are an integral part of the planning process, but neither one of them is in the position to be proactive in helping consumers avoid pitfalls or take advantage of new opportunities, you know, um, because, I'm the one providing the platform and I'm the one who dives through everything. It's my job to raise awareness of those issues and then to collaborate with the attorney and CPA to see if these opportunities make sense. You know, sometimes we have ideas and the CPA explained, no, this is why it's a bad idea. Great. But the, you know, the, the, the idea was never going to get raised without our having that platform, without my digging through all that stuff. Um, so um, I think we're about ready for a commercial break. We'll continue this conversation. I got lots more examples to share. Uh, let's do that. We'll, continue that right after the commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Tune in every week for my two cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. J.R. is the founder of Financial Planning Hawaii and a co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. You'll gain professional insight into some of the hottest topics in financial planning today. And along the way, you'll hear some of the great stories that make learning about personal finance entertaining. Listen for My Two Cents every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Nest Egg Guru makes affordable software for financial advisor websites to help advisors better educate and engage with their clients. Consumers today no longer wish to receive book-length so-called financial plans that they'll never read after leaving their advisor's office. Instead, they want to be educated and to participate in the planning process. The three Nest Egg Guru planning apps help address your greatest financial fear. If things go badly in the markets, will I still be okay? Tell your financial advisor to step up his or her game at nesteguru.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. TRN. 
You are listening to My Two Cents. We'd love to hear from you on the program today. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is info at fphawaii.com. Now, back to My Two Cents. Here again are your hosts, J.R. Robinson and Jessica Lonnie Rich. You're listening to My Two Cents. I'm Jessica Lonnie Rich, co-host, and we are here with financial planner J.R. Robinson. And our topic today is financial planning done right. J.R., you want to pick up where you left off? Yeah, sure. So um, what I, I, where we left off was I was talking about um, I wanted to provide examples of where uh, financial planners can provide value by raising awareness of important tax issues. And this is, and this is really some of the fun stuff that we get to do. So I'll give you one example. So, um, Taxes? A, fun? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the rules part are fun, Hello? but once you know, once you know the rules, though, I, like I said, it's, it's a treasure hunt. You can use all these rules to, to, to help people out. And here's a, okay. a, a fun example of one. So um, a longtime client approached me, his dad um, had been in poor health and was in his house and needed pretty much round the clock care. And um, the house had been a house he'd lived in for a long, long time, but it was um, in, a, in a really nice area. And, and the house itself was probably worth about a million and a half. And, um, but they'd spent down most of the father's assets paying for his care. And my client was the only heir. My client said, I really want to take care of my dad. I really want to find the, um, you know, pr- provide for him, whatever, what's the best, you know, what's the best way to finance his care. And um, the client had a, a portfolio that had done actually very well. And he, and this wasn't anything that I had actually, just clarify, he had Google stock for a long, long time, a real, and it would it had appreciated a lot, obviously. And he was trying to figure out how he's going to pay for his dad's long-term care. He's like, should I get a home equity line on his mortgage? And that was going to be kind of complicated. And I said, one possibility that might work out very well is why don't you why don't you gift him the stock? And to be clear, he would, he never wanted his client his father to go on Medicaid. He was going to keep him in his home for as long as, as long as he possibly could. So he was going to pay for his dad's care one way or another. So I said, why don't you? Ask your CPA, which we did, about gifting your appreciated Google stock to your father. So he gifted, and this is how it works. He basically gifted him $300,000 worth of Google stock and spent down a little bit for his care. Now, his father died about 18 months or two years later, um, and there was a lot of Google stock left, and it received a step up in basis when he died because the stock was now in his father's name and inherited assets for his step up in basis in death. So rather than using cash that he had to fund it, it actually helped him keep his dad where he wanted to be, pay for the care, and received a tax benefit for doing that because the Google stock received a step up in basis and it went past right back to my, to my client. So uh, just a neat that little thing. A, that, that's a great story. Yeah, there's, it's, there's stuff like that all the time. I'll give, I'll give you another example. So another client, um, initial review stage, shared a lot of information with me. Um, and they, uh, I found out that they had $40,000 that they'd made in IRA contributions, but they were non-deductible IRAs. They were contributions they'd made in the late 1990s and early 2000s, and they were after-tax contributions with to IRAs. So um, the money would grow tax deferred, but when they withdrew it, um, they were going to pay taxes on their after-tax money again, or be tax be complicated, be taxed in proportion to the amount that it was in the total value of the IRAs. Kind of a mess to have after-tax money commingled in your IRA with other pre-tax money. So there's a rule that allows you to take that after-tax money and convert it to a Roth IRA without paying any taxes on the money, but you have to have no other money in your IRAs in order to do that. So, and what you can do, and this is, 
oversimplifying it here. But what you can do is you can take all of the other pre-tax money that's in the IRAs, and if the client has it, which in this case the client did, transfer it into the client's 401k plan. So the only money remaining in the IRA is the, are these after-tax contributions, and then you can do a tax-free conversion to a Roth IRA. It's tax-free because it's after-tax money. So we did that. We actually took the client, had several hundred thousand dollars in the IRA, but $40,000 was this after-tax money. We took all of the pre-tax money and moved it to the 401k and converted the after-tax. And now we had $40,000 in a Roth conversion IRA. Um, so just a little trick like that. I mean, it's just knowing those little rules and it's valuable. Um, another one, have a client who turned 70 and a half and he was, um, he had a, an IRA was just about exactly a million bucks in it. And he was still working um, and had a 401k where he was working and planned to keep working. Um, and he was in a, in a high tax bracket and didn't want to have to take required minimum distributions from his IRA because he's still working in a high tax bracket. Because of this rule called the still working exception, you, if the money's in a 401k and you're still working, you don't have to take required minimum distributions. So I had him take his IRA money, transfer it into his 401k, and it saved him having to take forty or $50,000 worth of taxable required minimum distributions when he was still working. So Lots of little rules like that. And the job is to raise awareness of those little rules. As you see, that the opportunities there are, are immense for, for, you know, for saving money and for avoiding taxes. And that's, this is the fun part of financial planning. This is really what financial planning is all about. It's not figuring out what you're, you know, it's not that it's not relevant, but it's really a lot more interesting than trying to figure out what your ideal asset allocation should be. This is the nuts and bolts of financial planning. And Jr., you use the word opportunity. You know, most clients they don't know about these rules or those laws that you're you're talking about. And so, I I see the value uh, as a consumer in a financial planner because you know the rules and the ins and outs, whereas the average consumer uh, or client basically does not. And so, you're basically helping your clients to get a lot more money that they weren't even expecting. And you also mentioned on your list, JR, you talked about risk management and insurance. Uh, what is risk management? So I'll talk about it. Just to, just to finish up your thought, you know, I, I, yeah. everything so far, you're getting just the financial planner's view, right? So I, I really, I'm trying, I'm trying not to be out there, you know, preaching the value of financial planner. I'm sharing, you know, my own wisdom and my own experience, but I'm not trying, I really don't want listeners to think that I'm out here stumping for people to hire a financial planner or certainly not. My practice is for sure. We're not taking any new clients. Just be very clear on that. Um, you're getting a financial planner centric view, but I'm just showing all of the, how all these non-investment elements of financial planning are important, the value that they are. It's, financial planning is more than just investing. That's the theme. Um, so beyond that, to answer your question of risk management. So when you when you're hear the word risk management, I'm talking about insurance and I'll tell you, it's a subject that I feel very, I don't feel comfortable about. It's probably my least favorite element of financial planning. Um, but insurance, in terms of insurance risk management, we're talking about life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care, health insurance, um, on property casualty insurance, we're talking about home, auto, and umbrella, um, and sometimes professional liability insurances, you know, common types of insurance. And they're, you know, they're a critical element of financial planning because people do need to insure against those risks, right? You wouldn't really want to spend a million dollars on a big piece of property without having it insured if it burns down or something like that, right? So, you know, it's it's important. Um, when I say it's it's the element that I like least to deal with, it's from a financial planner's perspective, it's challenging because um, it pr pr often presents a moral dilemma. 
So um, my great preference is to serve as an objective, unbiased consultant rather than to have to sell insurance because insurance is all, all forms of insurance typically are sold and they're sold on commission. And, um, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's the struggle when you're trying to be an objective consultant. So, um, there are times and most of the time I prefer to either outsource the insurance or, or just to, just to serve as a consultant. There are times, however, that you can't help, help it. And, um, it's unavoidable. And all I can do when that comes up in my practice is just disclose, disclose, disclose. And by disclose, I mean, you've got to explain to your client that it's a huge conflict of interest, that you're getting paid for financial planning. And then you're, you know, there's a commission involved in the sale of some insurance product. In my opinion, you have to disclose the amount that you're getting paid, the percentage that you're getting paid. It's, I personally find it distasteful. I prefer not to have to deal with it. Like I said, there's sometimes it comes up where it's just not avoidable, but that's the issue is insurance is just tricky that way. Um, but, um, yeah, to, exa- to give you some examples of how uh, the financial planner adv- adds value in this space, a couple of really easy examples. A few years ago, I had a client um, bring in an insurance policy that she wanted me to review. And it was uh, a second to die policy that her father had taken out like 25 or 30 years ago and the investment in it was a variable universal life policy. Um, and uh, she had had the insurance agents who wrote it review review it, and I, th- I there must have been some sort of miscommunication because she asked, you know, how is it doing? And they, they basically they told her how the investments of the funds in the variable annuity contract or variable life insurance contract were doing. That wasn't how the health of the policy was doing because the her dad had stopped paying the uh, required level of premium to keep that policy in force, <laughs> and this policy was very close to lapsing. It was a couple million dollars uh, was the death benefit. Wow. And if done nothing, it was going to lapse in a few months. And I, I, was, I, was, yeah, I didn't understand how they could say it was healthy. Yeah, the investments were healthy, but the investments were going to be depleted really, really soon. And um, that plan actually took some drastic action to get it back to health. And she had to put a lot more money into it. It was a complicated story, but yeah, the, the role of the financial planner in there to review existing policies is a critical element of risk management. Um, these days, I get I, I get called upon a lot. I get a lot of flat fee consulting engagements. In fact, um, people calling in about uh, dealing with premium increases that they're getting these days from Genworth. People have had long term care policies in place for years, and they're getting notices in the mail that the premiums are going to go up eighty percent or sixty percent to the to the point where they can't afford to keep the coverage, even though they've been paying premiums for twenty or twenty five years. So um, there are lots of solutions in there, but most clients don't know that. And they're intimidated by these long, thick letters that they're getting from them. So, you know, the role of the financial planner to intervene and to understand that and to um, work with the insurance company to figure out what their options are and help them navigate that mess, do that a lot. So um, insurance risk management is really probably the most complicated element of financial planning. Um, But that's, you know, that's, that's basically how that, how that works. Well, thank you so much for explaining that uh, to us, JR. That's certainly fascinating. Next up on your list is qualified retirement plans. Now, what does this include? And can you give us some examples about how knowing about them can save clients money? Yep. So here we're talking about basically the zillions of ever-changing rules that pertain to IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, 403B plans, 457 plans, um, pension plans. And um, I use my knowledge base in this area to try to find opportunities both for individuals and, and, and clients, 
uh, just regular consumer clients. And also, especially I've got a, a niche base of clients that are small business owners. So the, you know, the, the rules that apply to, to those are, are sort of different. Um, but in terms of dealing with, to give you some real life examples of how that comes up with, um, with just, you know, ordinary consumers who aren't business owners. Um, I already gave you the example of the, the IRA rule for the client who um, with the still working exception, that's an example of a rule um, that, uh, that um, just knowing that helped. The other one, that I, I, another funny one, I think I might've shared in another show. Um, I had a client who wanted to know when to retire and he was planning on retiring on December 31st. And he was over, um, he was over 70 and a half as well. And um, he wanted to know uh, whether he should retire on December 31st or if he should wait till later. Well, if he had retired in December 31st, he would have had to take a required minimum distribution for um, two years instead of one. And if he waited just one more day to retire on January 1st, he would only have to take one. So it saved him about $40,000 in tax, just making that one day change. Just knowing wow. it's, just, it's, it's not a complicated rule. It's just, <laughs> so it just had to know when you had to take required minimum distributions. And that's, so um, there's that another one, um, this actually applied to a bunch of clients, but um, you know, when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act eliminated personal exemptions and raised the standard deduction, it really hurt a lot of uh, people in terms of being able to, to get value from charitable deductions. So have a number of clients who are over 70 and a half and have to take required minimum distributions from their retirement accounts. So just encouraging them, and they were charitable, you know, a lot of them are charitably inclined, instead of making the old school contributions that you can no longer deduct or realize the value of the deduction from, um, why don't you make those deductions as qualified charitable distributions from your retirement accounts? So lots of people are doing that. And it's a way for them to continue to support the charities and benefit from it as well, because that's information that's those distributions aren't taxable to them. It's basically you know, a, a, a way to accomplish the same thing as, as if, if they made the direct the contributions directly as they had in the past. So um, let's see um, another example. So I have um, uh, a client who, uh, this is a, a Hawaii tax rule, actually, but it applies to retirement rule planning account rules. So in Hawaii, if you take um, any distributions that you receive when you're retired that are from employer contributions are not taxed by the state of Hawaii. But employee contributions, the contributions that you might have made through or either an IRA contribution or salary deferral to a 401k or 403b plan, those are taxed by the state upon withdrawal. So I have a client whose husband had retired and um, we had divided his retirement money into the employer money and the employee money, and they were spending down the employer money first because um, it was not it's not taxed by the state. Later, however, he unfortunately um, uh, contracted Alzheimer's and is now in a long term care facility. And now we're just we're doing exactly the opposite. We're, and we did this with I raised the issue, went to the CPA, and confirmed that it was a good idea. Now because basically all of his expenses are deductible because he's got all these long-term care expenses. We're spending down the employee money first, which is fully taxable, but isn't being taxed because he's got this deduction. So again, awareness of all of those plan rules about all of those tax rules really is that's the nuts and bolts of financial planning. That's how we add value. That's, you know, that's, um, that's how, that's how it works. So um, getting to, uh, just to wrap that um, part of it up, as far as small business owners go, uh, we have lots of clients who are small business owners and, you know, um, example of how we had value, a client had a SEP IRA, small business owner, his wife had a, a big job at a large corporation. She made a really high income and they were looking for ways where they could increase um, 
increase their contributions. But he, he didn't make a lot of money in his business, but he wanted to be able to, to make a larger contribution than he could to the SEP. So we set up a one-person 401k for him, and he's able to make large pre-tax contributions to that plan, you know, saving thousands and thousands of dollars more than he could through, you know, through he, more than he could to just through the SEP. And I'm kind of rushing through it because I know we're running out of time. But basically, there are lots and lots of opportunities for saving and you know, reducing taxes, saving more efficiently, just by knowing the rules pertain to all of these. You see, we haven't talked about stocks or bonds or anything yet. There's not, nothing to do with any of that. These are the non-investment parts of financial planning. This is what really financial planning is all about. And I know we're, um, we're kind of running out of time. We're not going to get to some of the other um, examples or other other elements. I know we didn't get a chance to talk on social security benefits or employee benefits. Maybe we can do that on the next show. Um, but that's the, hopefully I've gotten enough out there that you can see the benefits of paying attention to the non-investment side of financial planning. Yeah, you have definitely covered a lot of ground in the show today, JR. And I'm pretty sure that your examples have been extremely useful in educating our audience about just how important it is to have a centralized planning platform and to not equate financial planning solely with investing, which actually a lot of people do. Is there anything else you would like to add to wrap up our show today? Um, no, I, I, I think um, I probably flogged it to death, but I, I think um, our listeners should have a clearer picture of how the non-investment uh, elements of financial planning really work and the importance of having that centralized platform to be able to see everything and to be able to consolidate all that information. I think maybe on the next show, um, maybe we can continue it and, and make it a part two, maybe where we can continue there. there you know, we haven't talked about employee benefits. We haven't talked about social security optimization. So maybe we can do that in the, ne- in the, in the next show. But um, we did cover a lot of ground and hopefully all our listeners, hopefully you picked up something along the way that'll be helpful to you in your, uh, in your financial planning endeavors. Absolutely. And you have been listening to My Two Cents with financial planner J.R. Robinson. I'm Jessica Lonnie Rich, and our topic today was financial planning done right. Please join us again next week, and thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to My Two Cents. Be sure to join J.R. Robinson and Jessica Lonnie Rich again next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, aloha. Aloha.